Welcome to Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and happy Monday. We're live streaming from Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, Arizona. And in studio with me is our senior pastor, Scott Richards. Howdy, everybody. Glad to be here. Glad that you're here. Hope everyone had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. <clears throat> I know we did. I smoked a turkey for the three boys and Allie. And Aren't they hard to light? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <Ba -dum -tsh>. yeah. <laughs> Off we and are running. <laughs> no shortage of humor on this program. <laughs> yeah. Short shortage of good humor, but nonetheless. <clears throat> well, this is a Bible answer program where you, our live stream audience, can ask questions of our learned hosts on uh, about the Christian faith, about Scripture, about how to live the Christian life, how to apply passages or how to understand or properly interpret the Bible. Uh, even questions about comparative religions and some of the tenets of the Christian faith, like does God exist, or do we have good reasons for believing that Jesus was raised from the dead? That and many, many other questions that people have been asking us since 2001, since this program began. So I'd encourage you to chime in. There are multiple ways you can do that. You can join us on Facebook. We live stream there and YouTube. Our Facebook uh, page is facebook.com forward slash CCF Tucson, or you can just go to Facebook and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you don't have a Facebook account, you can go to YouTube. Our YouTube channel is A Reason for Hope, so you can go to YouTube, search for A Reason for Hope, and look for that little red icon with the white dove, and that'll be us. If you want to go straight to there using the address bar, you can just go to youtube.com forward slash at A Reason for Hope 546. Lastly, if you want to watch the program and ask questions <clears throat> at the same time, but don't want to be on a social media platform, you can go directly to our website. And our website is calvarychristianfellowship.com. And if you go there and you go to our homepage, you can actually uh, just hit that little watch live tab there. <clears throat> And not only can you watch this program, as well as all of our services, we have a Wednesday evening Oasis service that starts at 6.30 p.m., which we are currently going through verse by verse the book of Ezekiel. You can also catch our 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. live stream services, which currently we're going through the book of Acts. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of that. There's a nifty little chat box where you can leave your questions. And if you have something weighing heavy on your heart that you would like prayer for, there's a little prayer button that you can take advantage of. <clears throat> also, we have an app. So if you're a part of our community, whether you're here all the time or here seasonally, whatever the case may be, I'd encourage you to download our app. You can get this app on the Apple or Google Play Store. And on this app, you can keep track of our calendar of our events. You can utilize the, the children's check-in. There's also <clears throat> a digital Bible attached to the app so that you can follow along in the scriptures. You can leave yourself notes. You can highlight text, and it'll retain all that information for future study. Also, all of our archives of our most recent sermons and messages will be there, uh, and, and many other things. You can create and chat, uh, create uh, and join chat groups. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of that. And now, if you want to ask a question on this program but don't want to uh, necessarily have your name or anything like that on any of the public platforms that we're doing this on, just email us. That's the simplest way. You can email us uh, directly at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all letters, no numbers, at gmail.com. I will monitor that throughout the program and throughout the week. We always check that. And if you get a question in, even off hours, we will catalog it and catch it on the next program. 
I also encourage you to follow our senior pastor on the X platform, formerly Twitter, and you can do so by uh, adding his handle to your <clears throat> followers or people you follow, and that is at Scott R4H. That's at Scott R4H. With that said, before we get to things that occurred over the weekend as it pertains to the nation of Israel and Bible prophecy and maybe some other things, uh, we'll take a moment to pray and um, ask the Lord to be with us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lord, thanks so much that we have this opportunity to be able to uh, meet in your presence like this. You said where two or more would gather in your name, you'd be there in the midst. I thank you, Lord, uh, that uh, that uh, makes uh, Avery and I and I a quorum that you're going to meet with, mm. uh, as well as everybody else who's involved uh, with the broadcast. I pray that you'd speak deeply to their hearts. I pray, Father, that you would enlighten their eyes to be able to see just how wonderful your truth truly is, that it's a foundation that will not fail them, can be a light to their path, a lamp to their feet, even in these dark and distressing times. I thank you, Lord, that your word tells us ultimately that our hope is in that glorious day when we see you face to face, and that each day that we live is one day sooner, one day closer to that day where you're going to appear and reveal yourself in your splendor, your awesome majesty, and your glory. We look forward to that. In the meantime, Lord, we need your instruction. We need your word. So please, may your Holy Spirit guide us into all truth. Uh, may Adrian and I not share our own takes, uh, but let us uh, share what your word has to say, your truth, uh, your whole truth, and nothing but your truth on every one of these important questions that are being asked in the next hour. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, what, uh, what, what updates do you have for us before we start getting to some of the questions? Well, from our, um, audience? as many of you know, we are in a mode in the Middle East right now where it uh, it appears that uh, there is a release of hostages in exchange for time. Hamas is playing for time, literally, in this set of circumstances. Israel has agreed uh, that for every cache of hostages released, uh, there would be another uh, day or two added to the ceasefire. Uh, that is, Israel would uh, not continue uh, to, uh, con to conduct its operation to eradicate uh, the terrorists of Hamas. Uh, there are those that worry about this, uh, that, uh, especially in light of the fact that part of the agreement is that there would be six-hour windows during the day where Israel would not fly surveillance drones over uh, Hamas-controlled territories. Uh, the uh, intelligentsia in uh, Israel, uh, the IDF, uh, Shin Bet, uh, uh, the Mossad, all seem to indicate that they have uh, other just as effective ways of being able to figure out what Hamas is up to on the ground. So they're not too concerned about that. Uh, whether uh, this does allow Hamas and their leadership to uh, dig in deeper uh, and uh, restock and re-strategize. I, I think that's, uh, that's a given. But it tells you uh, something that I think uh, definitely needs to be emphasized uh, in uh, these days. Uh, the, even the layout of this ceasefire tells you really all you need to know about uh, the moral uh, standing, the moral compass, if you will, of each side of this conflict. The reason I'm emphasizing this is because there does seem to be this rising tide, at least in uh, social media, as well as uh, some uh, people uh, who have uh, positions and platforms of authority, even uh, in conservative circles, 
of uh, seeing the conflict in terms of moral equivalence. Uh, Hamas certainly uh, was bad in what they did on October 7th. Oh, yeah, that was bad. We won't deny that. But uh, Israel is just as bad. And uh, Israel has been doing this for 75 years. And uh, that makes Israel even worse uh, than Hamas. That seems to be the gist of it. Uh, our friend Amir Safadi on his uh, Telegram uh, channel uh, posted a- an interesting comment that I think brings clarity to this mm. issue that we'd like to share with you and our audience here. Uh, this is a uh, this is not a mirror. This is a quote uh, from a writer by the name of Halil, Halel uh, Fold, and Halel Fold uh, writes this. You know, the distinction between good and evil in this war could not possibly be any clearer. No matter how you want to slice it and uh, what you want to look at, there are not two equal sides here. There is good and there is evil. You can look at the protests. One side sings songs of unity and peace. The other side yells chants of genocide and murder. You can look at the hostage of, uh, the hostages and prisoners. One side longs for its children and wives to unite with their families. The other side demands the release of murderers and terrorists. You can look at how the released are treated. One side does everything it can to ensure their hostages come home safely and are treated accordingly. The other side parades its prisoners around the streets while calling for violence. You can look at the value of human life. One side mourns its casualties and yearns for peace. The other side celebrates the death of its people and yearns for destruction. You can look at innocent deaths. One side goes to extraordinary lengths to minimize civilian deaths. The other side does everything in its power to maximize civilian deaths while they can use them as a PR tactic. You can look at how the war can end. One side can put down its weapons and achieve an instant end to the war. The other side can put down its weapons and be annihilated by the enemy. You can look at the uh, respective charters. One side has a charter, the Torah, that puts peace and human life as the highest value. The other side has a charter that glorifies death and genocide. You can look at the importance of truth. One side tells the truth even when inconvenient. The other side has a propaganda machine that spreads lies and blood libels all day, every day. The point is, if you see two sides as good versus evil, congratulations, you are a moral person. If you do not see the clear difference, if you compare the two sides, if you make an equal sign between innocent hostages and murderous prisoners, congratulations, you are morally bankrupt and an accomplice to murder, rape, abduction, and decapitation. Israel has always been and will always be the moral side of the Middle East conflict. The other side represents radical Islam and proudly declares that Israel is only its first stop. In order to navigate the challenges that the world will face as a result of radical Islam spreading like a cancer, the first thing they need is a compass. If you compare Israel to Hamas, you have no moral compass. And when radical Islam comes for you, you will not know where to go or where to turn to. If for no other reason, you should stand with Israel because Israel is fighting this war so you don't have to. The top, who Hamas took and still hasn't released, the bottom, who Israel arrested and has now released. If you can't see the difference, you are a lost cause. Sincerely, Hillel Fold. Mm. I think that kind of sums it up. Very well. Yeah. But uh, once again, 11 hostages released today, uh, the majority of them uh, women and children. Still no United States hostages uh, being released. Uh, very interesting, a number of different reports of uh, mobs in Gaza uh, pounding on the uh, ambulances and such that were used to transport 
these hostages, throwing rocks and uh, even getting angry with Hamas, saying you're giving away our most valuable asset every time you return hostages. Hmm. So the mindset there is kind of hard to miss. Uh, kidnappers will tend to say we want leverage uh, with the people and uh, try to uh, achieve concessions from them, rewards from them, status from them, and so on. Uh, the Israelis on the other side of the coin are bending over backwards, even to the point of releasing individuals. And, you know, it's just interesting to me, even the media spin uh, that has gone on, uh, the uh, individuals that are released from Israeli prisons, the women and so-called children, the children are individuals are roughly, oh, 16 to 18 years old. That's how you constitute a child uh, by that uh, method of spinology. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have firsthand personal experience with the fact that uh, Arab teenagers, even in Israel, are taught to not only hate uh, Jews, but hate Christians and do whatever they can to inflict violence on them. I was actually hit in the head with a concrete rock uh, mm. thrown by a group of uh, quote unquote uh, Palestinian teenagers when I was there. You mean children. <laughs> uh, for no other reason than we were visiting uh, the Pool of Siloam mm. uh, as a tour group. Uh, you know, the, the uh, interesting thing about all of this is that these individuals that are being released are all at a minimum individuals who have been convicted either of uh, attempted murder uh, or assault with the intent to commit murder. Uh, these are not innocent people. The ones being released from Gaza, uh, their only crime was simply being settlers or uh, individuals going to a concert uh, somewhere near the area we know as the Gaza Strip. Mm. So uh, really important for us to continue to pray uh, for the welfare of these hostages. Uh, we see from some sources uh, within Israel that there is a growing consensus that even though we are seeing these releases of hostages, that the pressure being put on Hamas by the Gazans, who are 100% behind everything that has happened, 100% behind the October uh, 7th uh, 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 you know, genocide and, and the, the horrible things that happened uh, there, uh, there may be a, a small minority that is growing tired of Hamas and tired of the price they're paying for all of this. Sometimes we see examples of this in the media. The vast majority are in favor of everything that Hamas has done. And when we see this going on, we see that Hamas is under pressure to provide their bona fides. Uh, we even see that Fatah, the uh, political Palestinian party that runs uh, the Palestinian Authority, is trying to run to the front of the parade and say, oh, yeah, October 7th was completely justified. And, you know, it's the awful Israelis that have made these sort of things happen. And we'll, we'll discuss a little bit more of, uh, about this issue uh, in a moment as far as some very interesting takes even from the conservative side of media on all of this. But the, the interesting thing is this, uh, both of these sides of things are putting pressure on Hamas not to give up the prisoners. Uh, and I think Hamas is going to have to do a balancing act with, okay, how much advantage are we having with these ceasefires? Uh, how much pressure can we put on Israel through the international community to draw the line with just what they've done and allow us to be able to survive and live to fight uh, another day? 
Uh, and the, the thing is, once the tipping point comes where Hamas feels that their hold and their control on their positions of authority and power, uh, even over their own people, is beginning hmm. to overwhelm the benefit of having these hostages. I think uh, we may see a number of these hostages uh, come to a very, very uh, uh, disturbing fate. Hmm. Uh, whether we see all of them released, I think uh, at this point, unfortunately, is unlikely. Hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, again, even reports that we hear out of Gaza, where uh, Hamas is saying, oh, well, we were really not even sure where up to 40 of them are. Oh, uh, you know, they, they, they know everything that's going <clears throat> on in there. But I think we're setting the stage for some playing to the crowd as far as, uh, well, you know, what is the, the best thing that you can do if you are a subscriber to yeah. the uh, agenda of Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood? Well, it's kill a Jew for Allah. Mm -hmm. uh, to let all the Jews go, I think, is very, very... Uh, unlikely, and yeah. we really need to be praying for divine intervention and divine protection mm -hmm. over these hostages more than we ever had before. I, I think, uh, you know, again, I'm no prophet, but uh, just taking a look at the way things have played out, I think you're going to continue to see these piecemeal releases of individuals. Uh, I think you're going to see them played for propaganda purposes. Uh, yesterday, I was just, I mean, we put this up on our Twitter feed at, at Scott R4H at twitter.com. I guess it's X now. Um, but uh, a person was saying, showed this picture of one of the, the, uh, the teenagers that was released, and she seemed to have a smile on her face. And this person said, Oh, well, see, she's smiling because she was treated so well yeah. while we were here. Well, the community notes <clears throat> section of X, thank you, Elon Musk, for putting that in pointed out the fact that this uh, young girl had been wounded uh, by a uh, AK-47 round, uh, had been poorly treated, uh, dealing with infection and so on, and was immediately rushed to an Israeli hospital to be treated for her wounds. Wow. Um, this was not someone who was looking at her captors and saying, oh, I'm sure glad you kept me here for 40 days and uh, allowed my wound to get worse and worse and worse over mm. time. So, you know, that's the level of propaganda war that we are uh, dealing with here. And if you don't believe a propaganda war is going on, that the real battle is for hearts and minds, you fail to see the spiritual aspect of all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, what we are dealing with, I think, is a dress rehearsal of what Second Thessalonians 2 calls mm. uh, a strong delusion that is going to cause all those who didn't receive the love of the truth in order to be saved uh, not only to reject God, but to embrace the Antichrist. Hmm. And when you see uh, just massive amounts of people, especially uh, college people, uh, embracing uh, the, uh, the agenda of Hamas as if this was some heroic humanitarian effort, some act of nobility, uh, even uh, uh, individuals that have been uh, leading voices in uh, the... Uh, the uh, climate change uh, controversy, uh, leading crowds uh, in chants of crush uh, Israel, uh, crush the Jews. Uh, I, I think we see that spiritual dimension going on here. So we really need to be in prayer. We really need to, as Christians, have our full armor on hmm. and realize that uh, you know deception isn't going to get uh, lighter 
as the time of Jesus' return draws near. It's going to become more intense. Mm. So these number of other things are going on here. But uh, before the broadcast, Adrian, you pointed out a, a rather disconcerting interview, I guess, you came across. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm was. i a big fan of the Daily Wire, and you know I love what they're doing. I love that they have this policy that all their different um, commentators and the different hosts that they have that have their own programs can vehemently disagree on various issues, and yet they're, it's a free speech platform in a sense. <clears throat> as long as they don't you know, commit a crime or bre- breach their contract, they can pretty much say whatever they want. And uh, well, that's exactly what happened. And as we talked about in weeks past, uh, Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro had a little bit of an exchange on Twitter. Candace Owens made some rather, uh, I would say, ignorant comments about the conflict, about what happened on October 7th and the history of what uh, brought us to this point. And Ben Shapiro said that it was, uh, well, he said some nice things about it, and, and I think he was correct, but he said it was disgraceful what she said, and and uh, and that's where it started. But uh, <laughs> I noticed that I was trying to figure out what really was the conflict and I went to see her program. I don't watch her program. I, I, I only watch a couple of them. I don't watch all the hosts because I only have so much time each day. But uh, I do watch Ben, especially since October 7th. I've been watching him every day because he does a very good job of giving us all the current events, his connections to people on the ground, very informative. And uh, um, I noticed that after that little conflict that they had about three days where she didn't have a program and I know she's pregnant and getting ready to go on maternity leave but then she had one last program after this little uh twitter conflict that they had where she brought on a guest named Norman Finkelstein and he uh has over the many years actually he's banned from Israel he's not even allowed to be there uh, but uh, he has made some very controversial comments in fact on October 7th after the attacks hit the news, he wrote on Substack, quote, for the past 20 years, the people of Gaza, half of whom are children, have been immured in a concentration camp. Today, they breach the camp's walls. If we honor John Brown's armed resistance to slavery, if we honor the Jews who revolted in the Warsaw Ghetto, then moral consistency commands that we honor the heroic resistance in Gaza. I, for one, will never begrudge. On the contrary, it warms every fiber of my soul the scenes of Gaza's smiley, ch- smiling children as their arrogant Jewish supremacist oppressors have finally been humbled. The stars above in heaven are looking kindly down. Glory, glory, hallelujah, the souls of Gaza go marching on. This is a man who is the child of, of Auschwitz survivors. I, I was just shocked that she would have someone and give someone like that has these views this platform. Now, he did retract... This statement, and he was on Piers Morgan just a few days ago, and said, "Yeah, well, at, by by that point, at that point, I only thought that there was a conflict of fighting, and these were soldiers. Only about fifty had died. That no atrocities had been committed. And now I I thought about taking it down, but I left it up. And then he went on to continue saying what he's been saying for many many years. Things like <clears throat> this is an open concentration camp. That these are folks who have been rooted out from their land since 1948." have been kept in prison, have been starved by Israelis, and it's been their policy to periodically go and, as he says, mow the lawn. The idea that the IDF is just persecuting and oppressing these poor Palestinians, starving them, robbing them of water, and when this conflict happened, they've been shutting off the power to hospitals, killing babies in incubators, 
on and on the war crimes and genocide continue. And he has quite a big uh, audience. And I, I noticed that there's a parallel between the things he was saying on this program, which has a huge following, a huge platform right. that Candace Owens has. Over a million, yeah. And Two million? I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I always get her Twitter followers and how many people actually watch her program on Daily Wire Plus. Yeah. I'm confused, but I know that she has a lot of Twitter followers. And yeah. Of course, her program is put on YouTube, so anybody can watch it. It's not just subscribers. Right. Um, and... Uh, and, and, he, and several other things. I don't want to go into all the, but it's the same talking points that I hear a lot of Westerners uh, say who are pro Hamas. They're and he even denies. He goes, "Well, I think that the beheading of babies or the killing of babies and the raping of women, I just find that hard to believe. I don't have any. I don't see any evidence for that, even though they have found dead aside, teenagers. <laughs> well, and aside from the video of it taking place by the body cams that were on the Hamas jihadis as they conducted these uh, horrible atrocities uh, that they themselves put up on their own websites for yeah. the entire world to see. So yeah. anyone who says there's no evidence for this, um, I think they're being disingenuous at best. Yeah, I, I actually commented on the YouTube video and I said, this guy's being willfully ignorant. He keeps saying that I don't have any, I, I'm just seeking truth. If Israel, Israelis commit acts of violence and uh, commit more crimes, I will say it. If the Palestinians do, I will say it. I just want to seek the truth. I just want justice and peace. Uh, I'm not picking sides. But what I've seen is, is that the Israeli government has a genocidal agenda, and they have since the beginning. And I just thought, what is the basis for saying these things, and why are so many people giving him a platform? Well, you know, a couple things. Uh, you know, there was a really interesting uh, article that ran in uh, the Jerusalem Post that uh, I think uh, also points uh, in this uh, same general uh, direction, at least can give us some, uh, some insight into what's going on here. Uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, comments uh, that were made on this uh, particular uh, op-ed, well, I guess, uh, in fact, this was on the All Israel News uh, uh, website. It was an article uh, written uh, by Cookie Schwaber Issan, uh, who is a, a contributor to All Israel News. That is the uh, news outlet that our friend Joel Rosenberg has established. But she points out something that is really interesting in all of this. Uh, she said this, a recent Pew Research poll revealed that more Americans are getting news on TikTok uh, showing the greatest trend in the 18 to 29 age group. It is the short video clip form that appeals most of them, but provides neither context nor necessarily accurate information. It's the quick soundbite that arms them just enough to be dangerous. The erroneous data is then disseminated to other like-minded friends in record time. Couple this uh, one-sided distorted information with a careful and calculated neo-Marxist indoctrination through their school years, and you have a constituency which believes in the existence of only two people groups, the oppressed and the oppressors. Mm. Part of this mindset has been provided courtesy of the woke philosophy, which has found its way into the educational system, causing young people to look through this one lens of, just, of injustice. They can only see that Israel boasts one of the strongest militaries in the world, a thriving high-tech sector, an innovative medical industry, a blossoming agricultural production, just about every type of inventive breakthrough known to man. In short, Israel is on the cutting edge of society, providing the world with creative advancements of all kinds, almost leaving everyone else in the dust. While you think that would stimulate admiration, 
it actually contributes to jealousy and a sense by them that Israel has superiority. It is that viewpoint which young people see as a negative because it merely highlights lesser societies as those which have not pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and accomplished much through hard work and determination. The same misinformed young people make an erroneous connection that disenfranchised societies are prevented by overlords who are purposely keeping them from making their own strides, despite the fact that they cannot point to any empirical evidence that this is the case. While they like to throw around the term apartheid to define Israel's government, they miss the fact that Israel's society offers the same advantages for its Arab citizens, resulting in their also becoming professors, doctors, lawyers, judges, politicians, even members of the Knesset, none of which attest the existence of an apartheid system. But there can be no hatred or disparagement uh, if Israel is found to be a country which provides fair and even-hand opportunity for all. And this is the gist of uh, why uh, Mr. Finkelstein's uh, mentality, I think, uh, gets promoted. Uh, the disdain can only be waged with the help of lies, propaganda, and complete information, misinformation about an upperly mobile, successful nation. Because in order to garner sympathy, Israel must remain the pitiful and scorned people who did not rise from the ashes of Auschwitz, but rather remained oppressed and downtrodden. Our great sin was that we emerged from victimhood to victor. That is what is stuck in the craw of these indoctrinated young people, and I believe people like Mr. Finkelstein, mm-hmm. whose need to feel empowered comes from the misery of others they are championing. Never mind they are governed by savage terrorists whose bloodthirst is unquenchable. Never mind that they don't realize that the same individuals they are promoting would turn around in a heartbeat and incinerate them too. Their loyalties are with the oppressed, and these days terrorists are new freedom fighters who have no other alternative than to resort to violence in order to get what's coming to them. So I think what it comes down to, and it's fascinating how uh, this really does seem to be the gist of it, is that uh, the battle is really with those who embrace neo-Marxism. And neo-Marxism teaches, as we saw there, that there are only two kinds of people you'll run into in the world, the oppressor and the oppressed. Mm. Uh, The oppressor, by definition, is that which has more material goods, uh, stronger military, higher standard of life. The oppressed do not have these things. And that is explained, according to Marxist point of view, that the oppressor is keeping the oppressed down. That uh, because of the policies, because of the power of the oppressor, the oppressed are under their boot, so to speak. And so by that worldview, the oppressor, as it is defined, can do nothing right. They are completely evil and must be opposed, Mm -hmm. as you hear, by any means necessary, which is a Marxist term, Mm -hmm. by the way. The oppressed, on the other hand, because they are oppressed, can do nothing wrong. No matter how atrocious the acts, no matter how heinous the crime, well, you know, um, after all the atrocities that Israel has done to them over the years, and then you say, well, could you be specific? Uh, you know that you talk about this genocide and mowing the lawn and and ter- terms like this. Can you show me an example? You know, for instance, let's just talk about the history of Gaza. In 2005, Israel withdrew from Gaza. They took the Gaza Strip in the 1973 uh, war. That was part of the territory they ended up controlling. It used to belong to Egypt. Well, controlling the Gaza Strip, they allowed Jewish settlers to come in. 
and settle in that area and uh, you know invest decades of their lives in developing high-tech agriculture uh, you know again these well-developed kibbutzes that we've heard uh, so about uh, so much about uh, all of these extended into the area that we know as the Gaza Strip and it was something that was beneficial for everybody involved uh, providing food providing uh, you know water providing all of these things uh, not just for the Israelis but also for any of the Palestinians who would side be in by the side with right. the Palestinians right yeah, yeah. And, and so it, Israel came in and in order to achieve peace uh, allowed uh, the people of Gaza uh, to control the Gaza Strip they gave it back to them they didn't want to administrate it anymore and so they not only pulled out of the Gaza Strip they not only gave the Gazans the right of self-determination to elect whatever individuals they wanted to run their own affairs they also gave them uh, all of these incredibly highly developed agricultural tracts after they evicted, the IDF came in and evicted by force these settlers. Now, if you want to criticize the Israeli government about something, I could say that if I'd invested yeah. you know, decades of my life in developing something, but a government policy came in and said, sorry, you're out. Literally dragged them kicking and screaming. Right. I remember watching the news footage, shocked that yeah. they were taking their own people, literally dragging them out of their homes. So what did the Palestinians do when they were given this state-of-the-art agricultural and uh, enterprise? They burned it to the ground, mm. tore it apart. They won't have anything to do with it. And uh, again, held elections. First election, they voted in the leadership of Hamas. Hamas then promptly had a civil war. Uh, with uh, the Fatah party, which is the uh, part of uh, the Palestinians that governs the West Bank and the Palestinian Authority, uh, brutal, grisly battle, kicked them out of Gaza, sent them packing back to the West Bank, and then immediately turned Gaza into a terrorist launching state. Uh, they took all of the resources they had, didn't give them to the people. Uh, instead, they used them to build military alliances. And as far as the uh, the trope that it's some kind of open-air prison, I don't know too many open-air prisons that have a five-star five star beach resort uh, is considered one of the yeah. finest places to visit in the uh, the whole area. And the millions and billions of foreign aid that they receive. And yeah. yeah, which has uh, made billionaires out of uh, uh, Ismail Haniyeh and the others that are comfortably ensconced in the uh, Gulf uh, oil uh, mm. Uh, entity uh, known as Qatar. So, uh, you know, when people will make these kind of comments and uh, people like Candace Owens giving them the avenue to be able to promote these kind of distorted points of view, once again, I go back to that strong delusion idea. Hmm. Either the individuals who are promoting these sort of things are not doing their homework, and Candace Owens has been called out for making some pretty outrageous yeah. statements. Uh, she said on one interview that she visited Jerusalem and it was horrific to her that there was an Arab quarter in Jerusalem where uh, only uh, where Arabs were forced to live. Well, the interviewer said, well, no, they're not forced to live there. There's an Armenian quarter and there's a Jewish quarter and there's a Christian quarter as well. And people live there quite voluntarily yeah. and not under armed guard. <laughs> oh, well, uh, look, a squirrel, and uh, yeah. off we go. She even brought it up with this interview with, that she had with when she had Norman Finkelstein as her guest, and she still wouldn't admit that she completely misunderstood. She goes, yeah, I couldn't believe there was an Arab quarter, and I could just sense the tension, and there's you know this uneasiness between, they just don't like each other. 
uh, well, yeah, but that's not what you said originally. You you said that they were basically imprisoned in the Arab quarter, that they weren't allowed to, they had literally Arab paths that they were allowed to take, only they could take. <laughs> well, I would thoroughly agree with your assessment. There's a lot of tension there. Uh, when we were in uh, the old city at our last uh, tour, uh, it was Friday and the Friday prayers were about to begin. And a Muslim Iman went on loudspeaker and I don't speak any Arabic, but you could tell this guy was really mad about something, mm. really angry, just, you know, spitting mad. And what are you saying? And I asked our tour guide, do you understand what this guy's saying? He goes, oh, it's the standard thing. Uh, their Friday prayers, every Friday, they encourage their people to kill Jews and Christians for Allah. That's what he's doing right now. Wow. So tension? Yeah. You know, why did the teenage boy throw a piece of concrete that hit me in the head? He's just been listening to his spiritual mentors. Mm. So yeah, there's tension there for sure. But if Israel was this horrible apartheid, uh, South African style nation that it's being painted to be, why would they even allow these people in there in the first place? Yeah, and why they would have cleared they them out a long time them ago? To be elected to government, they're yeah. on the judiciary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hold any kind of job whatsoever uh, in Israel, but, hold full Israel Israeli citizenship. It's not apartheid. That's what no. was so bewildering about what this, these statements were. I thought, what, what universe, what reality is this guy talking about? He said that he he used Nate Turner, a eighteen thirty one uh, slave rebellion, one of the biggest slave rebellions in in, Amer in the America's slave history. But and that just wasn't just a rebellion. He went and he was a preacher. He was a very well educated preacher. He was a pastor in a sense. But um, they went from house to house, murdering every white person they could find, including killing babies. And he equated that kind of moral equivalence to the situation here to say, well, we can't look at Nate Turner and say, oh, what an evil guy. We'll look at how he was raised. I mean, he was raised as a slave. You know, so when these guys uh, breached the wall on October 7th, we'll look at the life that they've had to endure. They've been imprisoned in the world's largest concentration, in his words, concentration camp, where people are being starved and no jobs, on and on. And here's a, half of which the entire, you know, 1.5 million children. And his claim is that Israel has been uh, systematically exterminating them since 2005. And of course, that all began since 1948 when they were all expelled from uh, the rest of Israel and forced to live in Gaza as a large concentration camp. So he makes these claims. But I, I, one of the things that I wanted you to comment on, Scott, was in 1948, my understanding is that there are many Palestinians that live in Israel today, that the Gazans were the ones who decided, their ancestors essentially, uh, when given the option, hey, we'll protect you, come, come be protected, when the entire Arab world surrounding Israel decided to obliterate them from the river to the sea right uh but they said no they thought they were told on the radio and on loudspeakers from their arab neighbors no 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 run away we'll obliterate them and then you can go back and and that didn't happen right so they kind of got stuck in this in between world where they're well we don't want to live with the israelis and and egypt won't have anything to do with us <laughs> yeah and, and none of our <laughs> which arab... is something that never gets brought up by the way 
Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the defense minister of uh, Egypt said that if Israel uh, tried to do something like uh, allow the Palestinians to go into Egypt, they would declare war on Israel. Hmm. So <laughs> h- how do you respond to someone who says, oh, well, you know, they've been held in this concentration camp, and where, where did Gaza happen? Like, what, what was the, the mo- okay, Israel becomes a state, May 14th, 1948, and then all of a sudden there's this group of Arabs who are now called Palestinians, and all of a sudden they are being forced to stay there? When How did the other Palestinians who live in Israel get there? I mean, it seems kind of like someone's hiding the truth when they make statements like what this Finkelstein had said. Uh, They're pretending as if these innocent Palestinians were just sort of corralled into Gaza in 1948 and and expel and Israel was uh, the Israelis the the Jews who were uh, now the government of Israel just expelled them and forced them to leave and and basically encamped them in Gaza I I just don't know of that being the case <laughs> yeah well you know once again uh, Gaza has had a pretty checkered history. It goes all the way back to the 1948 war that you spoke of there. Uh, Before uh, Israel became a nation, uh, the majority of people uh, that were in that particular area uh, were Arabs. Uh, Then when Israel was declared a state, war broke out. Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Egypt, and Lebanon all attacked Israel. And at the end of this conflict in the 1948 Arab-Israeli war, Egypt was given control of the Gaza Strip. Then following that, in the aftermath of the war, scholars estimate that 700,000 Palestinians left or were forced to flee their homes uh, in the newly formed Jewish Israel. As you mentioned, the surrounding nations said, get out of there, we're going to do this war of extermination. Once that's done, uh, you can return. So uh, again, uh, they fled, and part of the people who fled went down to the area of Gaza, uh, biblical Gaza, place, uh, places that uh, you've probably heard of in that particular uh, area before. Uh, but uh, Egypt controlled Gaza until the, 60, the Six-Day War in 1967. Israel seized that in the uh, aftermath of that battle. So in 1995, uh, the uh, Oslo Accords took place. You know, Egypt has lost control of all of that. And uh, again, uh, in 1995, uh, Israel backs out of Gaza as a peace gesture to the Palestinians. You know, we talk about a two-state solution. This is a prime example of an indiv- a group of individuals that are given complete autonomy, if you will, over their affairs. Um, it is a two-state solution. They even have their own military under Hamas, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, once again, uh, you know, the the situation that that developed there uh, isn't a case of somehow Israel corralling all of these uh, people and forcing them into this open air prison, so to speak. And these individuals, first of all, went on the advice and consent of the surrounding Arab nations, said, we're going to wipe them out. Don't worry. Be a temporary kind of thing for you. Secondly, uh, Egypt will not allow any of the Palestinians to come in. Jordan will not allow any of the Palestinians in Gaza to come in. Why? Because they've seen what happens whenever Gazans are allowed, or I should say Palestinians are allowed, to go into any other Arab country. Uh, When Yasser Arafat 
uh, was, left Tunisia, he was kicked out of Tunisia, he went to Lebanon and set up his uh, headquarters, the PLO there. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened to Lebanon? Uh, the nation that was once known as the uh, French Riviera of the Eastern Mediterranean is now this bombed out war zone with a crippled economy. Uh, you know, the other Arab nations are looking at this going, we don't want these people. One of the freest nations as far as religious freedom in that region. As right, well. right. No more. No, no uh, more. <laughs> now, now they're run by Hezbollah. So, you know, we can see why none of these other nations want them. You know, I thought it was very interesting that a suggestion was made that uh, all of these nations that are pro-Gaza in the Gulf uh, should uh, be open to taking Palestinian refugees like Qatar or Kuwait or uh, these other nations along that same line. Mm. Well, you're in favor of these people? Send them to Yemen. You seem to be in favor of their cause. Uh, give them uh, a place in you know your own territory where they can live among the, their fellow Arabs. Uh, and uh, you know, as far as uh, the Palestinians being native to that land, that's another uh, myth that has kind of gotten going. Palestinians are not Palestinians. They're Egyptians. They're Jordanians. Uh, they're Syrians. They are basically Arabs that mm-hmm. have all coalesced into this identity that was kind of created for them as a public relations deal by Yasser Arafat. Uh, Palestine, uh, again, uh, has no real historical basis, in fact. Uh, it was called, the territory was changed uh, from Judea and Samaria to Philistia by uh, Caligula, who hated the Jews and wanted to insult them. Mm-hmm. So he changed the name of the territory to uh, honor the name of one of Israel's most historic enemy, the Philistines. Mm-hmm. That's where the idea of Palestine came from. But as far as there being an, an original Palestinian people, uh, no, these are Arab people that have migrated from other places. Uh, you know, Israel has a claim to the land. That's... The, the the one another one of the most significant differences there yeah. so yeah it's uh thank you for sharing that and uh we need to continue uh being seekers of truth for sure yeah so you know again a lot of smoke a lot of mirrors going on uh, make sure you know if you really uh want to get uh up to the moment uh, insight i'd highly recommend uh subscribing to amir sarfati's uh, Telegram channel. You can get up to the moment uh, dates, uh, insights there. Uh, Jerusalem Post, not a bad source, although a little left leaning. Uh, Joel Rosenberg's AllIsrael.com. Uh, uh, great, great source for uh, news uh, from the Middle East. He also has a similar thing, AllArab.com. So you can get both uh, stories that relate to both sides of the, of the uh, conflict. Uh, from that and uh, Joel just does a really good job mm. of presenting the facts as they are on the ground mm. and the other thing we need to remember too is when you're in war there are going to be casualties um, the difference is is that the Israelis are doing everything they can to mitigate against casualties whereas Hamas has done everything they can to increase civilian casualties yeah as we as said you read yeah yeah as we said earlier so yeah well we've only got a few minutes left let's yeah, dive into some yeah, questions we, we got, got uh, a really good question well um Let's let's start with uh, Goin. I think I'm um, hopefully you're saying your name right. Thanks, Goin, for going to our website. Uh, wants to know is Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday and Black Friday. Did they start out as Christian holidays? Um, no, actually, uh, Black Friday uh, refers to the idea that this was a way for businesses to get into the black, if you will, 
get out of the red, which means you're not making a profit, get into the black mm. as far as uh, really concentrating sales, which I think is a very honest way to put it. C completely commercial, has no uh, Christian overtones as well. Cyber Monday uh, just took the idea of Black Friday and extended it through the weekend and is offering people all kinds of deals and discounts mm. online, but it has no, uh, no Christian overtones to it, no spiritual overtones whatsoever. And, and uh, cyber, aside, yeah. aside from the fact that um, Thanksgiving, I guess, always raises the question, who are you thankful to <laughs> <laughs> for your blessings? So let's distract the populace yeah. as quickly as we can and get back into chasing the material rather than the spiritual. Yeah, so. that's that frame of mind of, okay, now i got to start thinking about Christmas shopping, so it makes sense to wait till Thanksgiving's over because then everyone can start thinking, okay, Christmas, i got my brain on that now. Um, uh, Tom wants to know, speaking of church history, when did Wednesday night service start? How long has the early church had service on Wednesday night and worship? Uh, where did where did the concept of a Wednesday night service or a Wednesday night gathering? Uh, well, you know, it's been around for a long time. Um, it's there's nothing biblical about it. Uh, if you're looking for chapter and verse, uh, for the most part, uh, Wednesday night services got going because it's a long time from Sunday to Sunday, and it's a tough world out there. Uh, in terms of keeping uh, your spiritual batteries charged, so to speak. Uh, you know, we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of the sum, but all the more as you see the day draw near. Let's, uh, consider one another to stimulate one another to love and good works, the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 10 tells us. So, you know, really important for us to be in fellowship. And so really the only things that we see uh, biblical, uh, biblically is that the early church gathered uh, on the first day of the week uh, for the breaking of bread and prayer uh, to observe the Lord's Supper, the first day of the week being Sunday, according to that calendar. Why? Because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. They wanted to remember that. Uh, the Jewish people would continue to observe their Sabbath as they were able to before they were put out of the uh, synagogues. And so uh, we see in the book of Acts, uh, Peter and John and others along that line, uh, observing the, uh, the the Sabbath day and being there in the temple uh, on the Sabbath to be able to worship the Lord until such uh, lines were drawn. Mm. Um, you know, there are those who will come up with this idea that Sunday worship was something instituted by the evil emperor Constantine. No, it really goes back to Acts chapter 20, uh, referring to the first day of the week. Uh, the Apostle Paul reiterates that in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as far as when you gather together on the first day of the week, you know, set aside something for this uh, relief effort that is going on uh, mm -hmm. for the church right. at Jerusalem. So, you know, the idea of the church gathering in the first day of the week is pretty well established. Uh, we're told in the book of Acts that uh, they met all the time. Uh, they uh, they uh, met together, uh, not only as a group, but house to house. Uh, and uh, these sort of gatherings weren't confined to a particular day. As far as the history of uh, our church is concerned, uh, we started out, uh, you know, at uh, Calvary Costa Mesa. Uh, they would have a Thursday night service. Uh, we came out here, and uh, because, uh, <laughs> I mean, it sounds a little carnal, but uh, Thursdays during basketball season, there's always a Wildcat game on. So in order not to run into that and make it as accessible as possible, we decided to have our services on Wednesdays. Mm. And so there was nothing really 
super spiritual about it. Uh, we just want to have a service where we can gather together and uh, encourage one another in our walk with God uh, midweek, because as we say, it's a tough yeah. world out there. We need all the spiritual help we can get. And back in those early days, I would I enjoyed being able to visit on Wednesdays because I was going to Calvary Chapel on Thursdays because they were doing the Calvary Costa Mesa Thursday night kind of a thing. Yeah, and then I, they moved their service to Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mac D has a great question of, how do you know you meet, you've you met the right one? And I'm assuming, Mac, that you're referring to marriage or uh, relationships that lead to marriage. Uh, so how do you know, Pastor Scott, if you're you know single and you're dating and you're meeting people and you're interested in being a married person someday, Lord willing, that you haven't have been given that gift of singleness, how do you know you've met the right person to um, start a family and a life together? Well, um, I guess uh, a couple things. You know, I know what it's like to be a single pastor on staff at a large church. And boy, do you think nature abhors a vacuum in physics? It really abhors a vacuum when you're single and you're on staff at a church. Uh, the, the attempted matchmaking was off the charts. And, uh, you know, I would, uh, during that time, get uh, women who would come up to me and say, you know, I really believe that the Lord's told us to be together. And I was kind of taken aback by all of that. Uh, but uh, the Lord, I think, gave me some wisdom along that line. Uh, you know, I said, well, you know, the Lord has called me as the man to be the spiritual leader in the relationship. Uh, I'm sure that if the Lord wanted us to be together, he would have told me first. And they'd just stare at me like, you're going to get like all biblical on me about all of this. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is in, in my experience, uh, I remember going uh, to a wedding of uh, two dear friends of our, Rob and Susie Verdine. Rob is the uh, senior pastor at Calvary Chapel in Corvallis, Oregon now, and he was the high school pastor at Costa Mesa when I was there. And seeing them get married, uh, seeing Rob and Susie and just the joy that they had with each other, was just such a blessing to me and such an encouragement to see that marriage done right could be just an amazing, amazing thing to the glory of God. And I remember at the reception, when you're there at a reception and you're a single guy like I was, people would always ask you the question, so when are you going to get married? And I, for the first time, it really dawned on me, that old saying was really true. And I shared it. I said, uh, you know, not when I meet the right person, but I suppose when I become the right person. And this is really what I mean by this, Mac. Um, marriage is a ministry. Uh, it is a calling from God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, we are told that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church when he gave himself for her, that he might present her to himself a glorious church without mm -hmm. spot or wrinkle or any such thing uh, through the washing of water, through the word. Uh, you know, when we enter into marriage, we need to ask ourselves this question. Do I feel like I've grown in my relationship with God to the point where uh, I honestly feel that I can love a person that God brings to my life, this woman that God brings to my life, with the same kind of self-sacrificial love that Jesus had. If I'm still a little immature, a little self-centered, a little narcissistic, mm -hmm. like we can all be, probably a good idea to grow up a bit in your walk with God. Uh, the other thing that I would say is this, when all of the hooting and hollering and the marriage ceremony and all that other stuff is over, what are you in essence left with in terms of a marriage relationship? Well, in essence, what you are facing is a intensely intimate form of friendship. And 
Uh, one of the best ways to find out if you're ready for marriage is this. Have I learned how to be a good friend apart from anything sexual, apart from any uh, physical kind of intimacy? Have I learned to, as, as Paul towards Timothy, to treat the young women as sisters with respect, with, with care and concern and compassion for them, not for what I can get out of the relationship, but for what I can contribute to that relationship. I can focus on that and learn what it means to be a good friend, even to people of the opposite sex, without getting necessarily in the dating sort of thing and all the stuff that goes with that. That's a really important thing as well. Uh, you know, the other thing is this, um, you know, to have, and this was very helpful to me personally, have a very well-defined set of non-negotiables mm -hmm. in terms of you're going to commit yourself to. Uh, to me, there were three of them. Number one, they had to have a 100%, 100% on my part and on their part, commitment to growing and dealing with their personal issues before God. They had to be in a growth mode in their walk with God. Secondly, they had to have a 100%, 100% commitment to serving God. Uh, that it wasn't just something they were doing because I was into it, mm. you know, that, that they had their own ministry uh, apart from me. And thirdly, a 100%, 100% commitment to the relationship, that one person wasn't more into it than the other, and there's power imbalances and all that other stuff. You know, when I found a person who fit those characteristics, and when I saw God doing a work within my heart, and yesterday we talked about some of those details, boy, it was just really beautiful to see how God brought that right person, my wife Pam, along. And 30 years later, I'd say that worked pretty well. So I hope that helped you, Mac. Thanks for the question, Mac, and thanks for joining in. We'll be here again tomorrow, same place, same time. Have a wonderful evening. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.